Welcome to all of you at all of our churches. Hey, so good to have you with us as we're in week three of our series entitled, This Is My Church. And uh, before we get into the talk today, I just want to remind all of you at all our churches, we have Evening of Vision next Sunday evening at 5.30 on our Mariana campus. All of our campuses are joining together. We've invited all of our vocals from all of our campuses to be part of that evening of leading us in singing. And I think most of them are going to be part of that. Um, but you, I just tell you, you're not going to miss it. I, I promise you, it's going to be a great evening. Uh, we're going to bring some brand members from different campuses together as well. And then we're going to be looking at what God has done over this last year and where we feel like God is um, taking us. And we have an incredible announcement we want to make next week. So you don't want to miss it. And it's not going to be streamed live. So um, yeah, you don't want to miss that evening. So we're, we really um, love to have you for that evening. Hey, go ahead and take out those talk notes and let's go ahead and dive in now our second week of our, our third week of our series, uh, This Is My Church. And let me just say, if this is the first time that you're with us today, um, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about what does it really mean to be the church? Like, what does it take to move from the mindset that I enjoy this church, that that's enough as a follower of Jesus Christ, to the mindset that I am fully engaged in the mission of the church as part of the body of Christ. So what we've been doing is we've been basically sharing with you four habits or steps that we have discovered over the past years that whenever a person takes them, it helps them engage at a deeper level with the body of Christ, and they see God do some bigger things and some amazing things through them if they're, if, versus if they're not involved in these different steps. So the goal of this whole series is really to encourage you as a follower of Jesus Christ to fully engage in the body of Christ, to fall in love with the body of Christ as Jesus commanded and commissioned each of us to do. And so far in this series, what we've done is to introduce those steps we've talked about your part in the body of Christ in a few areas and why they are all important. And so let's just kind of break them down. We've talked about why you need to invite a friend, why the whole thing of reaching other people for Jesus Christ is so important, why you need to serve on a team, why your part in the body of Christ is so important. And today we're going to focus on why it's important for you to join a group. Now, before we begin this conversation of why it's important for you to be part of a group, our vision from the very beginning, since I started pastoring this church now about 29 years ago, has been this, is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And when we talk about being fully devoted followers of Jesus, we don't mean being perfect, but what we are saying is that our commitment is to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. In other words, everything that we do as a church, it is about helping you wherever you are in terms of your faith to take a next step in your spiritual growth. Because really when you follow Jesus, it really is about taking next steps. It's about following him on a journey. So wherever you're at in your faith, in terms of your faith, it's about helping you take this next step to be obedient to following Jesus and to grow closer, closer in your relationship with him and then take the next step on your spiritual journey and then another next step on your spiritual spiritual journey until you find yourself being led into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And then you just continue to take steps. So the question becomes, what does that look like? What does it mean to grow spiritually? What, what does it mean to be spiritually mature? And I think that's a very relevant question in this world because outside maybe of a few of you who might have been dragged here by your girlfriend or your wife, and by the way, we love having you here today, but the rest of you, you wouldn't be here or you wouldn't be watching online if you weren't somewhat interested in growing spiritually. 
Now, here's the thing. You may be with us today at one of our churches or might be online with us, and you may not even fully know what you believe. But you want to know, what is my next step if I want to follow Jesus? Now, here's what we've discovered over these years. Very few people have a real accurate picture of what it means or what it looks like to be in a growing relationship with Jesus. Matter of fact, most people fall for one or two maturity myths. The first maturity myth that people fall toward is this whole comparison. And that is comparison means I'm more like Jesus. It's the comparison myth. In other words, sometimes people think, well, I'm a lot more mature than they are because, you know, when I measure my maturity based on other people's maturity, I'm ahead of those people. They basically, they look around and they think to themselves, well, I'm ahead of that person. I mean, look how they act. Or I behave better than that person. I mean, look how they behave. Look at the things they do. But here's the thing, comparison is always a faulty measurement for maturity. Matter of fact, in my experience, um, the most spiritually mature people that I know, they never even call themselves mature. Don't, don't miss that. The most spiritually mature people I know, they never even call themselves mature. They don't even view themselves as mature followers of Jesus because here's why. They don't compare themselves to other people and focus on how far ahead of everybody else they think they are. No, they look at Jesus as the author and the finisher of the standard for their faith and they focus on how much further they have to go to be more like Jesus. In fact, what I discovered is the people that are more mature, what they see is the gap between who they really are and who Jesus is, it, as the more you grow in your faith, the more you understand that's a bigger gap. And they just feel so broken and they feel so humbled before God. And there's just this desperation before God to say, God, I want to be more like you. I want to be more committed to you. So mature people become broken people, humble people. They don't become arrogant comparison kind of people. The, the second maturity myth that oftentimes people fall, people fall into, and, and especially if you grew up in church world, you've always been part of church world, you have a tendency to fall on this one, and that is acquired knowledge makes me more like Jesus. See, this myth says, as long as you know the right Bible stories, and as long as you can answer all the right questions, and as long as you can recite like all the names of the 66 books in the Bible, then that's success, and you're growing spiritually, and you are spiritually mature. See, it, it kind of is this idea that says, well, you've got enough acquired knowledge that if you know more than somebody else, then, then you're ahead of, of, of them. Or it says, if somebody else is asking for you direction spiritually, then man, you're certainly more mature. That's, that's what this myth says. But when you really stop and think about that, just because somebody is asking you for information doesn't necessarily mean that you're more mature than them. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, don't, don't, don't raise your hands on this, but how many of you know how to tell people to eat right and to exercise right? But the question is, how many of you also know that knowing how to do that doesn't necessarily mean you live a healthy lifestyle? See, see, there's a big difference between information and application. And what happens is whenever you open up the New Testament, nowhere do you find knowledge or comparison being described as the standard by which spiritual maturity is measured. Jesus certainly never taught that. In fact, whenever you read about the early church that was formed, they turn the world upside down and they never believe that. 
Matter of fact, if you really think about it, it was not about acquiring knowledge for them because most of the New Testament writings did not even exist at that period in time. Yet they changed the world and the world turned upside down because they lived what they believed and they shared what they had seen and what they had experienced about Jesus. So it is a myth to think that somehow another comparison or knowledge makes me spiritually mature that makes me more like Jesus. No, the truth is about maturity is this, is application makes me more like Jesus. So so it's not about what you know. It's about what do you do with what you know. It's not about how you measure up with all the people around you. It's about who you're becoming more like, specifically Jesus. So Jesus said, really, when you look at maturity, it's all about how much you love God and you love others. Think about it. That's what Jesus said. This maturity really is measured by how much you love God and you love others. Most of us miss the second part. So Jesus measured maturity by the progress that we're making in both of these areas. And most of us will say, well, I'm going to love Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with his body. But here's what we've learned over the years. And here's what we believe as a church around here. And that is this. Spiritual growth happens best in the context of intentional, structured relationships. I'm going to tell you why this is so true as we talk through this sermon today. And that is this. Think about it this way. Sitting in rows, listening to someone like me speak or one of the other people that communicate from our stage, like you're doing right now, it is a very important part of becoming more like Jesus. And we're gonna talk more about that in just a moment. But if you want to consistently grow spiritually, you have to intentionally immerse yourself into some relationships with people who will push you, who will encourage you, who will support you as you apply what you know. Because here's the reality, and don't miss this. Consistent application never happens in isolation. Don't miss that. Consistent application never happens in isolation. Now, here's the other part that you need to understand about this. It's actually impossible for you to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus if you do not put yourself in intentional, structured relationships. Because as we said, remember, spiritual maturity means you love God and you love people. And you can't do this very well, loving other people in isolation. You have to be connected. You have to be part of the body of Christ. So you can't do that well unless you are intentionally connected to people. So from the very beginning, our goal as a church has been to provide you with the information and the knowledge that you need through our large group gatherings. That's our Sunday morning experiences, other teaching times that we provide in large groups, right? But for you then, once you hear that information, once you gain that knowledge, is for you to take a step and begin to process how to apply that knowledge as you do life together with another group of people who are moving in the same direction and they have the same goal that you have, and that is to apply what they're learning. Now, some of you go, well, where did you come up with that idea? Well, we didn't come up with that idea on our own. We copied it from the early church. Because when you look at scripture, it's exactly what they did. 
So today what I wanna do is I wanna read you a description that Luke gives us in the book of Acts. So if you wanna take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter two, and he gives us this description of the very first church in their earliest days, and we're gonna look at some of the ways that they grew spiritually and they discipled themselves, they discipled each other, they were discipled together as the body of Christ. So let me just kind of give you a little bit of background. After Jesus left the earth and goes back to heaven, God did some remarkable things to let the early followers know that his spirit was with them to guide them, to guard them, to keep them, to teach them all truth. And one of the things that he did, it happened during a Jewish religious holiday known as Pentecost. So during Pentecost, Jerusalem, it was packed with tens of thousands of people. And Peter, most likely, most of you have heard about Peter. He was the apostle Peter. Peter, he steps out into the crowd and he begins to explain to all these hundreds and thousands of people and all the other, uh, that all the things that he and all the other followers of Jesus had seen and heard. I mean, he tells them about their experience, his experience, and the other disciples' experience with Jesus. He talks about Jesus watching Jesus die, and he calls out the Jewish people for having Jesus crucified. And then he talks about seeing Jesus and interacting with Jesus after he has risen from the dead. And then, at the end of his message, he challenges all of them to put their faith in Jesus and to follow Jesus. And what's so incredible about this is God uses that one sermon to launch the very first church onto the pages of history. In fact, here's how Luke describes this in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Notice how Luke says it. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Now, why would you do that? Why does he start off saying one of their first steps as a follower of Jesus was to be baptized? Because baptism is how you publicly declare that you are a follower of Jesus. As many of you have heard me say before, it's kind of like my wedding band. My wedding band doesn't make me married. It just identifies that I am. So baptism is the same thing. Baptism doesn't save you, but it just is a public identification that you have committed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you, you've never made the commitment to be baptized and you've never been, therefore you've never been baptized. And so your next step of following Jesus may be to be baptized. So just let us know on that connect card that you're interested in baptism or talking about baptism. And then maybe you stop by the gallery on your way out. We'd love to have a conversation with you. Or if you put it on that connect card, you can leave it lay on your seat, put it in the giving boxes as you leave, and we'll follow up with a conversation with you this week. So baptism may be some of your next steps because it was their next step. But I want you to notice the next part of the verse. It didn't stop there. It says, and those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, that's pretty wild when you really stop and think about it, because the first church went from about 120 friends and family members to over 3,000 people in one day. So here's the thing. If you've kind of had the idea or attitude that, oh, I don't really like a big church, I don't want to go to a church where everybody doesn't know my name and I don't know everybody and everything about everybody, then you probably would not have liked the first church. Come to think of it, you might not even like heaven because there's going to be a lot of people there too, but you and God can work that one out, okay? Y'all can are going to have a conversation about that, how you're going to handle that. So the disciples though, really, here's the point of this verse. The disciples, they have this great opportunity, but they also have this incredible challenge. I mean, they have 3,000 
people who are new to faith in Jesus. 3,000 people who are new to faith in Jesus. So how do they teach them what they need to do and what they need to know in order to help them grow? Well, these next verses, they basically explain to us what they needed to know and how, how the disciples led them or the apostles led them through this. And what is so interesting is they describe what Peter and the other leaders felt that they as the apostles were responsible to do. And then they describe also what responsibility these new believers to faith had as well. Notice this next part. Here's what it says next. They. Now, now pause right here. Who is they? Who is they? They is not the leaders. They're not the apostles. No, they are the new believers fresh in their faith. So the next thing we want to look at, based upon the next words in this verse, what did they, these new believers, fresh in their faith, what did they do? Notice what it says. They devoted themselves. I want everybody to say this with me at all of our churches. They devoted themselves. Let's do it one more time, but let's put the emphasis on the word themselves. Everybody ready? Here we go. They devoted themselves. That's very key. Because so different than how we think in church world today. Literally, these new believers, they devoted themselves. They gave their full attention and their full commitment. And they took their personal responsibility for their own faith and their own growth. In other words, if they weren't growing, they didn't point the finger and blame anybody else. They, they didn't blame the church they didn't blame church leaders. They, they, they went and they looked in the mirror. Why? Because they felt full responsibility for their own personal spiritual growth. So scripture says they chose to devote themselves to certain practices, to certain habits that they believed were essential for them to take a next step in their faith, to have a growing relationship with Jesus. And then Luke tells us what some of these habits and what some of these practices were. Notice what he says next. They devoted themselves, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. Now, this would be the large group side of their spiritual growth, their input. And as we're gonna read in just a moment, what happened is these new believers, they would gather in the temple on a regular basis. So whenever they had an opportunity, they wanted to make sure they heard Peter or they heard the apostle James or the apostle John, and they would listen and they would learn from them what they had learned from Jesus, right? Because they didn't have scripture then. They wanted to hear from the apostles what they had learned from Jesus. So it was really their version of a church service. So they're together, they'd sit in rows or stand in rows or stand in a big crowd, and, and they would learn. They gained knowledge. That's how they, they gained the information about who Jesus was, what Jesus had to say, and how they're to live. But it did not stop with knowledge. Make sure you don't miss that. It did not stop with knowledge. See, that's where many of us in church world, 21st century world, this is where we, we stun our own personal growth and our spiritual growth because we stop with knowledge. We think if I got knowledge, then I'm okay. But they didn't stop there. Luke goes on to say they also devoted themselves to fellowship. 
they devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. We're not going to spend time on these two parts today. We're going to do a sermon later on on prayer. But today, I just want to focus on this fellowship. So they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, this term fellowship is very interesting. This term fellowship, what it means, and I don't want you to miss this, fellowship in the body of Christ is to be as committed to one another as you are to Jesus. Don't miss that. Because the body of Christ is Jesus' body in this world. So fellowship in the body of Christ is to be as committed to one another as you are to Jesus. Because when you listen to Jesus and when you listen to the teaching of the apostles, 59 times in the New Testament, we are commanded to one another, one another, right? He says, I want you to love one another. I want you to care for one another. I want you to serve one another. I want you to bear one another's burdens. I want you to bear with one another. I mean, we could go on. There's 59 one another's that we are called to live out, and you can only do that in the body of Christ. So fellowship in the body of Christ is to be as committed to one another as you are to Jesus because the body of Christ is Jesus' body in this world. So fellowship is not what we often think about when we use the word fellowship kind of casually in church world. No, fellowship doesn't mean a social time together. It doesn't mean having a meal together. Like if you're going to have a meal together with a bunch of other people, say, hey, come over for a social. Don't, Don't say come over for fellowship. Because fellowship means that you love one another as Jesus loved you. And here's the thing I'm telling you, you can't consistently do that in a large crowd. Fellowship means that you are gathering together to live out and to encourage each other, as the writer of Hebrews says, to spur each other on to love and good deeds. That's what it's about. And you don't sit in rows listening to me speak or other people speak and be able to fully engage and do that. No, you do that by getting to know people personally. You you do that whenever you open up your life and you share your life with other people. You do that when you are intentional about doing life with a group of people who can encourage and support and challenge you to apply and to grow in your own personal life. And here's why they can do that. Because when they're up close and personal and you're sharing your story and they're sharing their story and it's life on life, then they know what's happening with you. You know where they're doing well. You know where they're struggling. And see, what happens is then you're able to help encourage, support, and strengthen them through through that process. So here's the thing you have to understand. You got 3,000 people who come to faith. And what do Peter and the other leaders do? They basically look at these people and they say, hey, here's your plan. You show up for this large group gathering at the temple and we will teach you what you need to know. And then you go get together with a smaller group of friends and you help each other figure out how to practice what you hear. How do you apply the information that you learn about Jesus and how you are to live and love one another? Basically, the apostles are saying, hey, we'll provide the support, but you're responsible for your own spiritual maturity. And that has been so lost in 20th century Christianity and now in 21st century Christianity. So the apostles are saying, you've got to devote yourself both to the teaching and to the what? The fellowship. That whole gathering together with each other to live out and to encourage each other, support each other, challenge each other to apply what they learn. 
And these new believers, these new followers of Jesus, they hadn't been brainwashed with the lie that someone else, the pastor or the Sunday school teacher or somebody else was responsible for their life and their spiritual growth. They hadn't been brainwashed with that lie. And so guess what they did? They did it. They'd go to friends' houses, they'd talk about what they were learning and where they were struggling, and then they would spend time practicing loving just one another as Jesus commanded them to love. So then Luke, he goes on. He, he describes, okay, this is the impact that them taking personal responsibility for their own spiritual growth and for them applying God's command to love one another, this is the impact it had on them, both not only to their large group and their small group, how it changed the church, but also how it changed their community. Notice this in verse 44. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had, or give to anyone who had need. So these people, they are so committed to each other, so committed to applying and living out what they heard that when somebody in their group had a need, the rest of the group, they did everything they could to help. It's kind of like, hey, you need something that I have? Here, it, it, mine is yours, use it. Go ahead and use it for whatever you need. Or, hey, we got this person in our group and, and they're struggling with putting food on the table or keeping a roof over their head. And, and these people say, well, I'll sell some of my stuff and, and I'll help them out with it. Now, here's the thing. That sounds extremely extreme in 21st century because in our mind, it's about taking, ourselves, taking care of ourselves and we can isolate ourselves from other people who are in the church and just, it's us and God and we, we take care of ourselves. But, but this is what love does. That's the kind of love that Jesus said that we should have one for another. And the reality is you can't demonstrate and apply that in a crowd. It's just too much. It's too overwhelming. I mean, think about it. Right where you sit, the auditorium you're sitting in this morning, you probably have no idea what the needs are of the people a couple rows ahead of you or a couple rows behind you, maybe even some of the people sitting on the same row with you. But when you commit to doing life with a small group of people, you care because you're aware. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 46, he says, every day they continue to meet. I, I hear so many people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. They say, we wish that we could experience the life-changing power of the early church. And I'll tell you why that the church, Christian community does not experience the life-changing power of the early church. It's because notice this, it says, every day they continued. L listen, we're doing good to get to church twice a month on Sundays. You, you can't water it down. You can't dilute your engagement in living out the practices of learning and growing and supporting and encouraging each other and relegating it to. It's just like it's an occasional thing and do, we do in our life. No, this is about being committed to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It says, every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And it didn't just stop there. It says, praising God. This was their habit. They would meet at the temple and they would hear Peter, James, John teach. And then they would gather with each other in their homes over dinner and they would help one another grow. And they did it. How often? Every day. I mean, there was like 
some support that was happening in their life, encouragement that was happening in their life, challenging that was happening in their life every day. In other words, they chose to be intentional and consistent in the time that they spent together. And I love how this ends. And we all love how it ends because we would all love to see the same outcome in our communities and in our nation, in our state. Notice what Luke says next. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added their number daily, those who were being saved. So, so Luke says that these followers of Jesus, they lived out the one another commands so passionately, so fervently. They were so devoted to loving each other the way that Christ loved them that the commitment they demonstrated to one another and the generosity they exhibited to one another, it got the attention of the entire city. They earned favor of all the people. In other words, people who didn't even believe in Jesus said, well, I'm not really sure I buy into what they're saying, but man, I love how they love. I'm not really sure I believe all that they believe, but man, I am so glad to have them in my neighborhood. And as this Jerusalem community, this Jerusalem neighborhood watched these Christ followers live, it caught their attention. And many of them decided, hey, I want to be part of that kind of community. And I'm going to be a, I'm going to start following Jesus. I believe, and I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. Notice it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I have Christ followers all the time go, why don't we see daily salvations anymore in, in our world through the church? It's because we only engage sometimes one or two, maybe three times a month on Sundays, and we disengage all the rest of the time. This is about what is our focus? What's our priority? And, and, and we're learning through Luke's description here of the, the, what it really means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. The way that God has wired us to grow spiritually, it hasn't changed since the first century. That's why one of the keys to spiritual growth, we always say it, it happens in the context of intentional structured relationships. So what happens is, is you come here every week and you listen to messages and you take notes. But here's the thing I want to tell you. As many notes, some of you, you'll fill up notes on the front page, the back page. You'll take notes on your phone. You'll just keep taking notes. And here's the thing. That's great. That's awesome. That's very important because faith comes by hearing. Right? Faith, I mean, literally, our faith is encouraged. Our faith is inspired. I mean, we learn and we grow through hearing, but it is still possible to hear the truth of God's word, gain more information, and leave that gathering never applying what you've heard. And many people do. It's why James wrote in his letter, he says, listen, don't, don't hear the word and so deceive yourself. He says, no, you gotta do what it says. It's like, don't deceive yourself into thinking just because you heard it. Now, all of a sudden, you're more spiritually mature. He goes, no, maturity only comes with application. Matter of fact, sometimes what James is in, inferring there and, and what we're picking up from what Luke is saying is sometimes you're going to hear things and you're not going to even know that you need to apply it. Because see, we all have blind spots. And so you're going to think, well, I'm doing a great job at this. And you're going to be thinking about your spouse. You're going to be thinking about your children. You're going to be thinking about your parents. You're going to think about another classmate in school. You're going to be thinking about a neighbor, a coworker. You'll think, oh, I wish they were here and hearing this. They need to hear this. 
And, and you're going to think, oh, I got this down pat, but everybody else needs to hear it. You're going to think that way way too many times unless you have some people in your life who are helping you know, oh no, you got a blind spot here. You need to grow in this area just like everybody else does. And I'm just telling you, it is so easy for that to happen to all of us because we all have blind spots in our life, especially spiritually and emotionally. See, we have blind spots spiritually and emotionally because we think, and I'm just telling you, we think that somehow every problem we have in life is, is that other person's fault or these other people's, every relational problem we have is somebody else's fault. When, when the apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Your struggle with other people and relationships, he's going, it's not with those people. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. And if you believe scripture, then, then you own that. We know, well, this is not my struggle. My struggle is, James says it in James chapter four, he says, why do you have fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? In other words, you have desires that you want other people to meet and they're not meeting them. So there's like blind spots that we all have and, and we blame it on everybody else. But you know, when we really get the blinders removed, it's like, oh, Wow, the reason I am mad at this person, frustrated with this person, not doing well with this group of people is because I want something and I'm not getting my way. So Paul says, Apostle Paul says, you got a spiritual battle going on and you're blaming it on people. There's some spiritual blind spots and you're blaming it on other people. See, this is why we, we tend to isolate ourselves from intentional relationships that are gonna hold us accountable and, and gonna say, call, out, call out those areas of our life because we, we, we don't like that. We, we like to sit there and believe, okay, my wife needs to hear this. My husband needs to hear me this. My children need to hear this. Oh, I wish my neighbor was here to hear this or I wish my coworkers were here to this. Apostle Paul, now Luke is even saying, oh, you, you gotta have some relationships around you. It's why most of us, we tend to jump from one activity to another and we have all these people that we see all during the week and we have a lot of superficial conversations and we got all this social media going on and so we think we're relationally connected. But let me ask you this question. Who asks you how you're doing spiritually on a daily, weekly basis? Who's that person that's engaged in that? Who's asking you how you're doing at work or at school? Who's asking you, how are your relationships going on in your family? How's your marriage going? How's your relationship with your children? Who's asking you how things are going on in your heart? Like what kind of bitterness and resentment and rage and frustration are you carrying in your heart? Who's asking you about that? Who's asking you doing about how you're applying what you're learning? Like we learned this this past week. So how are you living that out on Monday? How are you, how'd you live that on a Tuesday? How'd you live that out on Wednesday? Who is coming along you and alongside of you and encouraging you to take what you know and as scary as it may be to be vulnerable and trust God enough to obey him and be fully committed to him? Who's asking you those hard questions? Well, listen, if you're not in the habit of spending time weekly with a group of people for that purpose, like men, who do you have in your life? What other men do you have in your life that are doing that? Women, what other... Women do you have in your life? Students, what students and, and, and mature, wise leaders do you have in your life? Who do you have in your life? See, if you're not intentionally structuring, calendaring time to do this, you probably don't have anyone. And to be honest, as a pastor, and I promise you, I'm concerned for you. 
The truth is, I'm really scared for you. I'm scared for you because you're just like one temptation, one trouble, one tragedy away from walking away from your faith or destroying your family or destroying some other relationships that you have. And here's the thing. When you start to drift, nobody's gonna be there to help. Nobody's gonna be there to say, hey, that doesn't seem wise. Hey, hang in there, keep trusting God. Hey, I don't really think you wanna do that. I don't think that's a wise thing to do. You need some people to help you. And see, if you're not in a small group, then what will happen is when you drift away and things go south for you and, you, and, and nobody's checking on you because you've not been connected, you're, you're gonna get mad at me. And you're gonna get mad with your lead pastors on other campuses saying, you guys don't care about us. And that's not true. We're, we're helping you right now to go, listen, you need some people in your life. It's just the way the body of Christ was designed to work. I'm telling you, having practiced, you know, being in intentional structure relationships for over 20 something years, I, I can promise you that spiritual growth happens best in the context of intentional, structured relationships. Here's what I'll tell you. You will grow faster and you'll be happier and you'll be wiser if you'll devote yourself to some relationships like this because these kind of relationships will encourage you. They'll support you. They'll push you to do what you know. They'll, they'll push you to look at your blind spots. Now, if you've been around here very long, you know that we've designed an environment to help build these kind of relationships. And we have creatively called them and entitled them small groups. Kind of catchy, isn't it? Now, here's the thing. We thought long and hard about that, right? Here, here's the thing. When you get in a small group, you have the opportunity to get and give three things. These are the three things, coaching, care, and connection. So first of all, you get coaching. You get to learn from other people. You get to learn from other people's successes and you get to learn from other people's mistakes. Now, some of you, you will use the excuse that you're way too busy for this. And I'm just gonna tell you, you're, you're never too busy for this. Your busyness is gonna be what causes you to crash and burn. It's gonna be the thing that keeps you just occasionally skimming your, your relationship with God and other Christ followers. And that's gonna be the thing that's gonna cause you to make a lot of mistakes in your life. Now, some of you, you're gonna say that you don't wanna be in a small group because you might end, around, end up around some people who are screwed up. Well, the truth is you wanna be around people who are screwed up so that you can learn what not to do. But let me just go ahead and, and kind of make you aware of a blind spot in your own life. You're screwed up too. And everybody around you knows it. You're just the only one that's not aware. And you go around blaming everybody else for the same things that you do. And at the same time, you're blaming everybody else. Everybody's just nice to you. And because they haven't developed a strong enough relationship with you. And they listen to you complain about what everybody else does. How this leader doesn't get it right. This boss doesn't get it right. This team member doesn't get it right. This fellow student doesn't get it right. And they're listening to you whine and complain and grumble about that. And they're going, you do the same thing. See, see we're all, we all are screwed up. We need each other to learn from each other. And, and please don't miss this. If you don't make time for these relationships, you're depriving other people from learning and growing from what you're experiencing. You're depriving yourself from learning and growing from what they've experienced. So you get coaching. The second thing is you get care. So over a period of time, you start developing people in your life and, and people care when they're aware. So you gotta have people up close and personal in your life. So you develop relationships with people who celebrate your successes and support you in your struggles. I mean, listen, you all, everybody needs people to do that. 
You're going to have some turmoil in your life in this next year. If there's anything we've learned over the last two, three years, it's like in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But Jesus said, be a good cheer because I have overcome the world. And one of the ways he helps you overcome in your world is by having you engage in the body of Christ and having people come alongside of you who are going to support you just like Aaron and Hur did with Moses when they held up his arms when they got tired, when he was, when the nation of Israel was fighting a battle. You need those kind of people that are going to come give you that kind of care. And here's the thing, you need to plan for that now. And you need to put some relationships in place that, that, that when, so that when you need help, it's there. And those people that are going to be in those relationships, they're going to need your help at some point, at some point in life as well in this next year. And finally, you get connection. This is where you kind of move beyond family and you suddenly, you have this group of people who know you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you know them and you accept each other unconditionally anyway. See, connection is about this powerful sense of belonging. And some of you, you've sat in our churches for a year or two years and, and you're just kind of getting embittered going, well, I don't feel any connection to this church. I, I can tell you, you're not gonna feel connected sitting in rows looking back our heads. You, you will learn and you'll gain knowledge and, and what you need to apply. But connection happens when you get in a group and you start sitting in circles with other people during the week and you really start encouraging and supporting and basically coaching, caring, and connecting with each other. So we're inviting you to, man, get started. Build some relationships. In fact, uh, we're, we're starting a brand new sermon series in two weeks um, entitled Winning the War in Your Mind. And uh, on your seat, there was an invite card. And we would love to see, first of all, everybody in a group talking about this for the next four weeks. Because I'm going to tell you something. Many of you, 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 you're on the verge of destroying your own life, destroying some relationships. And you're blaming everything out there for what's going on or, you know, in your life. When in reality, you win or lose the war about life in your mind. And uh, some of you may have read this book by Craig Rochelle. It's an amazing book. But we're going to do a four-week series on it because many of you won't read the book. And, um, and then in small groups, we're going to give you discussion guides so that you can be discussing this because this is so important. I mean, listen, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, he says, finally, my brothers and sisters, you need to put on the armor of God. You've got to guard your mind. He, he talks about in Romans chapter 12, he says, listen, you've got to renew your mind. That's the only way transformation happens in our lives. And, and I'm just telling you, this is a very important series. Be inviting friends, family members. Uh, you're going to want everyone to be a part of this. It's that important. Now, here's the thing. If you're not familiar with small groups, you can stop by the gallery on your campus or you can see maybe they got a big sign up that says big group banner. Um, stop by there and they'll show you a list of all the new groups and they maybe get you signed up for one there. Or if you're familiar with our groups, there was a groups brochure that was on your seat or in your worship guide when you came in. You can look over that. You can let us know on your connect card uh, what group you'd like to be a part of. Or if you're a tech savvy person and you want to use your app or website, you can go there as well and sign up. But whatever you do, Put some people in your life this year. Make the commitment at the beginning of this year that you're going to have a group of men or you're going to have a group of women or if you're a student, you're going to have some students around you with, with a spiritually mature leader that wants to engage with you and, and going to help you grow and apply what you know. Because as we said, spiritual growth happens best in the context of intentional, structured relationships. And you're going to need support from those relationships. They're going to need support from you in this coming year. So be intentional about putting people in your life that you're devoting yourself 
to helping each other to grow. And here's what I promise you. I'm going to do my best and the people we have on the stage communicating as well on Sunday mornings to, to make sure that you are learning what you need to know or be reminded of from Scripture. But you have to take the responsibility for your own spiritual growth. So surround yourself with some people who will do that for you and then you do that for them and let's all be more like Jesus as we truly become and operate and function as the body of Christ. Because I'm telling you, life is much better that way. So let me pray for us and then you need to take your next step and apply this sermon today by signing up for a small group. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity. This opportunity to just pause at the beginning of this year and be reminded that part of the body working right is when we are loving one another, when we are as committed to one another as we are to Jesus. And I just pray that you just never allow us to forget that life change seldom happens in isolation. Application very seldom happens in isolation. We need each other to support and encourage and challenge and help us stay focused and even realize those blind spots that we have emotionally and spiritually in our lives. So God, right now, I just ask that your Holy Spirit will come. You'll guide us into taking this next step. And as we felt the prompting from your spirit today, help us to live it out and apply it. And then God, I just pray that by the end of this year, as we think about, wow, this is amazing. Look at what God has done in me, through me, and what God is doing in and through these other people who are committed and being devoted to these relationships as well. And we'll celebrate that because that's how you grow us, loving you and loving others. That's the definition of spiritual maturity and growth. We wanna live that this year in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks everyone for being with us today. See you next Sunday.